Listen, I did film and television studies at university for three years. I spent hours reading countless books and articles on subjects spanning from film all the way to television. Not a single one mentioned Hugh Grant once. I achieved the hardest qualification across any university or college ever, a 2-1 in history. Let me tell you, the only thing that I learned was that we, as a society, have a history of denying and neglecting Hugh Grant's artistic and cultural relevance, not just in this country, but in the entire world. I met Oscar at a Hugh Grant-themed event I put on at the Students' Union. It felt as though Diggory and I were the only ones there. And we agreed that there was a Hugh Grant-shaped hole in academia. We decided to put it right ourselves. We want to show people that he's an icon in acting. We want to show people he's more than just a bumbling posh guy. I'm Diggory Waite. And I'm Oscar Beardmore Gray. And, and this, this is... Taking Hugh for Granted. Hello and welcome to Taking Hugh for Granted, the podcast in which two scholars watch every single film starring Hugh Grant in the attempt to answer the simple question, is this film Taking Hugh for Granted? Is this film good on its own or does it rely on the bumbling Brit for its acclaim? I'm Degree Waite and as ever I'm joined by my colleague and fellow Hugh Grant academic Oscar Beardmore Gray. Oscar, how the hell are you doing, mate? I'm doing very well, Diggs. Yeah, it's been, a, it's been a couple of weeks since I've seen your pretty face. It's uh. It's been sad, but um, yeah, I'm I'm currently in quarantine at the moment, which is, I mean, it, I'm sure many of you listeners out there have done a fair share of quarantining over this uh, weird COVID period, but it's mm. not a lot of fun. You just basically sit there watching TV. Watching Hugh Grant films. Yeah, pretty much. Thinking about Hugh Grant films, reading I mean, about Hugh Grant films. <laughs> been doing a lot of that. And last week on Sunday, it was my birthday, and my sister very kindly put together this video for me of my one friend saying happy birthday to me my one friend was diggory <laughs> i'm glad you enjoyed the video because obviously yeah it wasn't wasn't very long because like you say it's all your friends so it's about one video um but you know <laughs> as long as you had a good day that's the main thing exactly and i've turned the ripe old age of 25 feel like an oh, old word. man it's terrible listeners i've got to, i've got to admit i am some of you may have noticed something already about me today I've got this thing in my on my tongue which really hurts. Um, I obviously I spoke to my mum about it and I was like, "Oh, mum, my my tongue hurts." And she's like, "Oh, sorry." And she was like, "Is it is it oral thrush?" <laughs> and I was like, "I was like, I don't know." And she was like, "Diggory, have you had sex with anyone lately?" And I was like, "Oh my god, no! If I had, I wouldn't be here right now." Um, it's it, it, the problem, mum, is the opposite of that has happened. I haven't had sex in years. Um. Anyway, so that's good. I was chatting to my mum this morning about oral thrush. Um, but if you if you want to hear more of me and mum talking about sex shit, I actually have another podcast called The Real Sex Education, where my mum's a sex therapist, and we talk to celebrities and people around the world about their sex education. So do check that out, uh, The Real Sex Education. Look that up. I'm just going to say that everyone should go and listen to The Real Sex Education. It is... It's even funnier than this podcast, so no, that speaks for itself. don't do that. It's impossible. <laughs> Everyone knows that this is the real podcast. This is, this is the day one. This is the original. This is the good one. The OG. Exactly. But there's no better time to plug the pod than when I've actually got oral thrush. <laughs> so, yeah, go listen to my sex podcast with my mum. But before you do that, just cue that up. Because first, Oscar and I are going to talk about Mickey Blue Eyes 1999. Oscar, shall we have a synopsis from Synopsis Simon? Hit it. Synopsis Simon. Mickey Blue Eyes, directed by Kelly Makin and released in 1999. 
When arthouse auctioneer Michael Felgate, played by Hugh Grant, proposes to his girlfriend Gina Vitale, played by Jean Triplehorn, little does he know of the trouble he is about to be in. Gina's father, Frank Vitale, played by James Kahn, is a mafia kingpin, who is more than happy to have Felgate as part of the family, as long as he launders the crime boss's awful paintings for big money in his auctions. Right, Oscar, Nicky mm. Blue Eyes, 1999. I think perhaps it's probably a good idea to maybe talk a bit about this film and the wider context of it. There's a few interesting things about it, for me at least. Hugh Grant produced the film and was heavily involved in the writing process, but he didn't want to be credited for that because he thought people would think it was a vanity project because he was starring in it as well. And another notable producer on the film was none other than Hugh Grant's girlfriend at the time and long-term girlfriend, Elizabeth Hurley. Really? Hmm. Um, now, were you involved with the script from the very get-go, or was yeah. Hugh Grant attached first and, no, and went from there? No, the had a script which bears very little resemblance to the movie that everyone's going to see tonight. Um, we kind of changed everything in it, and we did it together with a succession of very talented writers, and then Hugh actually did the final rewrite himself. Oh, nice. It was a great one. Okay. Yeah, it's really cool. It's been pretty easy then to work uh, on different sides now uh, with you, Grant? I wouldn't say it was easy. It's kind of pretty hard. Okay. But, um, but it's something we're working at and we'll continue to do, I think. It's incredibly stressful. It's just exactly what you'd think, yes. And you do kill each other. Um, but at the same time, it's quite nice because uh, you don't have to pussyfoot around each other. You know, I don't have to be polite to the producer and the producer doesn't have to be polite to me. You could say what we mean. And... Uh, I have access to her 24 hours a day, which is more than I've had with any other... I never had that with Ismail Merchant. I could never poke him in the middle of the night. Well, once. Another thing that I thought was interesting, and I'll marry these two things together, was the fact that this film came out in 1999. Obviously, Hugh Grant fans out there, you'll know that that was the year that Notting Hill also came out. I think that's very interesting, because I think that's why you can compare these two films, much like Elizabeth Hurley, who dated Hugh for, what, 12 14, 17 years, like a lifetime. Long enough, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So they were going out when they made this film. Elizabeth said, this film actually shows Hugh more like he is in real life than even Notting Hill or Four Weddings and a Funeral because he has a big hand in writing a lot of this. All of his lines are Hughish. He kind of rewrote them himself and I think it really shows. And I think, for me actually, I, I thought it was so interesting to compare the two films, Notting Hill and Mickey Blue Eyes because they're both rom-coms, they're both Hugh Grant, and I think we'll we'll keep coming back to making those comparisons mm. throughout the film. But as I always do, Oscar, what did you think about Hugh Grant and Hugh Grant's character in this film? Well, I really liked Hugh in this film. And mm. Hugh Hugh's character, he is playing that useless Englishman in New York, isn't he? He's, <laughs> yeah. he's a little bit too polite. Mm. You know, he's a bit lost. Mm. And he somehow... I don't know how, stumbles into becoming, you know, associates with a mobster gang. <laughs> he, yeah, I mean, yeah. throughout the film, you're, he, he, he does show that self-deprecating side that we've mm. come to know. And I think this is the sort of beginning of him having that confidence to write in this deliberate self-deprecation into a script, mm. rather than maybe in Four Weddings and a Funeral, he sort of adds that on or he's asked to add that on. Here he's like, I've got a formula that works. Mm. and he plays up to it and you know i thought this film was as funny as any hugh grant film out there personally all right so let me get this straight you've brought me just under half the paintings just over two weeks late for the uh, fifth time this year 
You're going to sign, you'll take it all back. And that's it, is it? That's your response to this? All right, guys, load it up. Load them up. I'll sign. Lovely. Thank you so much. You've been a huge help. Note, call Better Business Bureau. <laughs> Other note. Seek lost testicles. Michael? So in this movie, Hugh Grant is this hapless auctioneer who's going out with this girl who he apparently really loves. They've been going out for like three months and he proposes to her, but she doesn't want to say yes because her family are members of the mafia and she's afraid of what they'll do to Hugh or what they'll make him do if they marry and he's part of the family. I had a couple of problems with the romance side of things. is because... They're meant to be madly in love, but they've only been going out for three months. Mm. And that really irked me. I think the reason they did that is because this film kind of rests on the fact that Hugh Grant hasn't met her family yet. And I think they were probably thinking, well, they can only go out for three months. And after about three months, he must have met the family by that point. So we couldn't get away with any longer. But he's then prepared to propose this girl after three months, which I don't buy. And there's a moment in the film where you're meant to, I guess, like, see how much these guys love each other. And it's when they're running for the reservation that Hugh Grant has made so he can propose to her there. And they're running along, and she's laughing the whole time. Please don't. Don't what? Just stop. Just stop, otherwise it can't go on. Just run normally. I am running normally. Oh, all right. I'm sorry. I, I thought, I thought you know, I, well, I guess I haven't seen you run before, and I thought you were doing a funny run. Funny run? That's my run. That was that was crap. <laughs> that was crap. That was not the Bridget Jones two bit in the film where Bridget Jones is naked and she's covering herself up. She's like, I don't want you to see my wobbly bits. And Colin Firth's like, I love your wobbly bits. And in fact, I want to have sex with them right now. And then she's like, oh my God. And they look at each other and you're like, that's amazing. That's like, that scene, you're like, oh my God, my loins are on fire. These guys are in love. You know, I've got fucking oral thrush. That's what you're talking about. Not this scene where it's like, oh, you run funny. Oh yeah, sorry, I didn't realize how you run because we've been going out for three months. That was meant to be, I feel like, the yeah, scene. Yeah, which, and you know, you know what, Dick? And it just doesn't work. If you come at these films with an anti-Hugh Grant mentality. Mm, mm. That's the kind of stuff that people who don't like Hugh Grant... Hugh Grant haters will point yeah. out. Exactly. Because it is a bit lame. It is a mm. bit wet. And yeah. I don't know whether that's something that maybe Americans find more funny, but it didn't really hit home with me no, either. No, no. It, it didn't work. And it's meant to make you go, firstly, funny, ha-ha, and secondly, these guys are in love. They're so cute and having a good time. But in reality, you're just like, well... How do you not know what the other... Have you never seen the other person run and you want to get married to them? Like, what? you just don't know each other very well. Even if you didn't know what they run like and they ran funny, I don't know what it was about that. I just was sort of like, this just doesn't hit. It just doesn't hit home. And and so... But and, and the point is, is they've been going out for three months and Hugh is so madly in love with her that despite the fact that she has all these mafia connections and her family are all mental, Hugh's going to, like, power through and try and marry her regardless. I need to be really convinced these guys are actually in love. I'm just mm. not. Hugh talked about this in, in an interview. He was like, it, it's all about where the emphasis is. Because Notting Hill is a rom-com and Mickey Blue Eyes is a rom-com. But the emphasis in Notting Hill is more on the romance. The emphasis in this film is definitely more on the comedy. And I mm. think in some ways, 
that might be my big drawback of the film. That might be one of the things that kind of meant that I didn't get along with it as well as I could have in certain aspects. I think that's absolutely true. And unfortunately, I think that's why this film is not a cult classic Hugh Grant film. Yeah. Because it doesn't have the leading lady romance that Notting Hill has, Four Weddings and a Funeral has, Love Actually, About a Boy, Mm. you name it. Because the leading lady in this film, who I think actually was very good, Mm. the film isn't set up in the same way to have that sort of idealistic love story Mm. where, you know, they go to a park bench and hold hands and skip through leaves, as we talked about in previous podcasts. But I think that, I think the New York edge to this story is actually a lot more fun mm. than a lot of the other romantic comedies that he's in. And for that reason, I think that's why I I really enjoyed it. And I have to say, you know, 10 minutes into the film, I was like, mm, where are we going with this? And again, I guess I was a little apprehensive going into the film just because it's not really known to be a particularly great classic and you know no. it's not rated very highly mm. but i was really <laughs> i mean i think the moment when i was suddenly my ears perked up and what my eyeballs came out of my head was when they go into that bar and it's the you know the four mafia blokes kind of sitting around mm. and you sort of like oh very nice to meet you so hugh ends up in this bar with this woman's dad and in this bar you have this rogues gallery of mafia characters they're just stereotypes from all the films you you love like the godfather like goodfellas you know all these great films funny as well just want to point out james khan who plays the dad in this frank is in the godfather and i didn't Mm. recognize him he's sonny corleone i think and I, I, I was like, was he in The Godfather? Looked it up. They, he, the, I think the guy's got better looking with age. And also, I mean, another point quickly is that I haven't watched The Sopranos, but a lot of the characters in this film are then go on to play characters in The Sopranos. So I think that's quite interesting as well. Yeah, I think a lot of them are typecast as like, you know, brutes, you know, New York henchmen, etc. And that's what's so good about this film is it fully goes into the parody realms. And that's a good, that's the thing about Four Weddings and a Funeral and Notting Hill is, you know, they're not parodying anything and they're not taking the piss and it's not this big wink and this big joke. But like we've said just now, like the comedy in this is, is that that's what they're doing. They're taking the piss out of these comedy tropes. So we sat around really nervously talking to these mafia guys in this backstreet mafia den. And then he goes to the toilet and there's a guy just in the freezer. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. And you're like, oh, what's going on here? <laughs> it's just bloody brilliant. Mr. Vitale. My God. Michael, finally. You know, Gina keeps telling me how busy you are, but, uh, hey, better late than never. Right? Right. <laughs> uh, uh, so, you meet everyone? Yeah, I think uh, so. Vinny, I know. Carmine, Louie, uh, this is Uncle Vito. A pleasure. Likewise, yeah. So, I, right, are you mostly family then? Mostly. Uh-huh. So, Hugh enters the Mafia family having asked for gina's hand in marriage and what gina warns you about is that once he does this they're going to start using him to get favors basically Mm -hmm. and because hugh runs this auction house that sells paintings the mafia start using the auction house (laughs) as like a money laundering scheme and start selling these ridiculously bad paintings of like (laughs) jesus shooting people for lots and lots of money and hugh at first, it's kind of like, well, you know, we'll let it slide. And then 
in classic fashion, when you get involved in organized crime, mm. things start to spiral out of control a bit. Mm. Yeah, the FBI get involved, and Hugh is trying to get out of it. But this is what I'm talking about, him being the hapless deer in the headlights. Because at every turn that he tries to escape this impending doom the mafia keeps saying oh yeah yeah don't worry this is the last this is the last painting we do the last thing and of course something else comes along and it all sort of culminates to the point where i mean we won't bore you with the details but hugh grant has been spotted with frank and they're burying a body (laughs) and and They've convinced two other Mafia members from another Mafia family who are also burying a body in the same place. They've spot each other. And Frank passes Hugh off as not an Englishman, but as another member of the Italian Mafia. So, uh, who's your friend? That's Big Mickey from Kansas City. Friend of ours. I thought Big Mickey was dead. The father, this is little Big Mickey. Wasn't there a Little Big Mickey out of Chicago? Yeah, yeah, that's the original Little Big Mickey. This is Little Big Mickey Blue Eyes. Oh, so you work for Tony Two-Tone. Would all be fine, but of course, for some reason or another, this group come together again, and Hugh now has to... He can't just nod along. Hugh now has to affect an accent and act like a real member of the Mafia. And this, perhaps, is the funniest Hugh Grant moment Ever. It, I was pissing myself laughing while watching this alone. If I'd been watching with you, I'm sure we would have been like, yeah. we would have been running up and down the staircases. It, it, was, yeah. it was that funny. And Hugh Grant, let's be honest, he is the absolute antithesis of a New York <laughs> mafia guy. Yeah, exactly. Mickey Blue Eyes. And <laughs> yeah. So basically, he's in the car with Frank, and Frank is like giving him a short yeah. lesson on how to be a mafia guy. And he's, and he's saying, Hey, forget about it. Hey, forget about it. Forget about it. Forget no R's. Forget about it. And I'll change the T's to D's. Hey, forget about it. It? Well, you said change the T's to the D's, but I said. the last one. Well, all right, change the T's to the D's, but not the last wait, one. Wait, forget about forget it. Forget about it. Stop. Try this one here. Um, get the hell out of here. No R's. Get the hell out of here. Not he. 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 Oh my god. Hey, get out of here. No, just forget about it. Forget about it. No, forget. I mean, shut up. Please shut up. Forget about it. It's amazing. It goes down as one of his better accents. Obviously, up there with his Italian sort of accent from uh, impromptu which is meant to be french potentially polish yeah it's up there it's up there it's just even though it it's just so awful and i love it so much yeah, that look, is you, such a great scene just watch it, it for that yeah if you don't if you don't watch the film type in on youtube mickey blue eyes hugh grant and you'll find the scene it is it is two or three minutes of comedy gold it's and just fast. i think we should spare a minute as well for the name mickey blue eyes i think mm. we should start calling Hugh mickey blue eyes we should he's got, that's so true because he's called michael in the film so obviously mickey and then mm. presumably they got the blue eyes from the fact he's got blue eyes he's got beautiful blue eyes gleaming blue eyes well you're listening to hugh grant taking Hugh for granted on the radio hugh grant taking Hugh for granted oh the podcast show
we won't bore you with the details. Do go away and watch this because it is on Netflix and it's an hour and 40 minutes. So I do think you will enjoy overall. It's a wedding at the end and Hugh is trying to marry Gina, but there is an elaborate plot now with the FBI on side to mm. <laughs> basically, it's going to be a massive shoot up with the mafia. They got an army of cooks with machine guns. <laughs> Yeah, which was actually great when they had the the car pull up and more and more cooks just got out of the car. See, there's a slapstick comedy moments like that, which like straight out of, you know, Charlie Chaplin films and stuff. Just bloody brilliant. That's why this film was was so funny. This perhaps is my other gripe with the film in that basically Gina's shot and it's awful and everyone thinks that she's shot and killed in the line of duty. But in fact... I, I thought she was. Really? Yeah. Oh, I no. was fooled, mate. I was fooled. <laughs> no. So when she was, when so they were the ambulance were there, were I, you like, oh yeah, no? I thought she was dead. Oh no! So I was, oh, I was yeah. fully, you know. For, so for me, I thought the ending was brilliant because I wasn't oh. expecting that. I clearly am not keyed on to this kind of slapstick comedy. But it is slapstick comedy. The thing is, my problem with the ending is. If the film had ended and Gina had died and her father and Hugh Grant had like cried over her dead body, that wouldn't be a fucking comedy. That'd be so dark. And I knew that wasn't going to happen because this film doesn't have that much edge to it in that it's because the emphasis, as we said before, is on the comedy. I sort of knew that they wouldn't just suddenly U-turn at the end and be like, sorry guys actually this is a thoughtful or well it wouldn't have been thoughtful it would have been fucking weird if she died but they wouldn't have just turned around and done that you know i i struggle sometimes when we watch these films some of these rom-coms because they're just so like run of the mill you know it's much more fun we watch films like the lair of the white worm or restoration which we watched the other day you know some of hugh's earlier stuff which is wacky and weird you know, Bitter Moon was fucking mental. You know, these <laughs> films have edge to them. You know, to be to some extent, even Notting Hill like has a bit of edge to it. This, uh, the problem That's is it. with this film. Well, I think so because of the whole like, um, you know, I don't know the whole porn thing. I think there was a lot of you know the fact that she like <laughs> took you know had these pictures taken over and stuff. I don't know. Th- th- there's elements of that film that you can jump on. I'm going to disagree with you, Diggs. I think Please this do. film has way more edge to it than Notting Hill, and I actually thought this film was a lot better than Restoration or Bitter Moon because mm. it has Hugh doing what he does best, but not in as a, a traditional way we've come to expect it in some of the other films that he does. The thing is, I completely agree. When I say it doesn't have an edge to it, I don't mean that in a bad way. What I mean is it's, it's hard to speak to you about it because I'm going, well, okay, another scene with Hugh, it's very funny and it's mm. great. What else do I say? Oh, Look at this scene. Hugh's very funny and it's very funny. It's very great. It's just going to be that over and over again, which in some ways is such a good thing. So I'm more just, I'm more just annoyed that there's not as much to talk about because all I wanted to say is Hugh was great. The film's very funny. Go and give it a watch, basically. What else do you say? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there isn't much else to say when you, when you put it like that. Yeah. Taking Hugh for granted. Taking Hugh for granted. Taking heat for granted. What did you think, lads? Were they taking heat for granted? Oscar, uh, Mickey Blue Eyes, nineteen ninety nine. Are we taking Hugh for granted? No, sir. We are not taking nice. Hugh for granted here. We are definitely not. Um, a film that I wasn't expecting to like. Mm. Absolutely loved it. 
loved it to pieces, mate. And mm. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this might be up there in my top five Hugh Grant films now. Yes, dude, love that. Yes, I would happily rewatch this film at a drop of a hat. Mm. You know, it had everything for me. I, I think the the New York setting, despite mm. it being slightly cliche, is refreshing and it's a lot better than two weeks notice that is also set in new york and despite it being the useless englishman in new york who comes in and does stuff with the mafia i think there is no one better place on the planet yeah to play that role than hugh grant like he just knocks it out of the park for me yeah he may as well be at yankee stadium hitting a home run for the new york <laughs> yankees Very like good. come on come on guys he was Very absolutely good. brilliant, and the the accent that he puts on, mm. I w- I will never go over that. That was brilliant. I wonder whether how much of my reservations about this film are because I have oral fucking thrush, or <laughs> and I was obviously sat there watching this film, being like, oh my god, or my reservations are just simply that maybe a few times the film lagged slightly, just ever so slightly, but. If Oscar, you're laughing in stitches on your own. I always feel like that's a good test of a comedy. I can watch the worst comedies in the world and be in a group of people and laugh and enjoy them. Mm-hmm. But some of the best comedies ever, if I'm on my own and I'm laughing, that is a true testament. This film is great fun. It's really fun. It's really silly. And Hugh Grant knocks it out of the park. Elizabeth Hurley and him producing on this bad boy. You both did a brilliant job. Is it better than Notting Hill? We shat on <laughs> Notting Hill, so it would really surprise people if I said that maybe Notting Hill's better. Um, I don't know. I think I'm going to have to genuinely watch both of them again when I'm not. Not in a bad mood. Exactly. Because my Matt, honestly, I am like Hugh Grant on a press junket. I am in a pissed off mood. <laughs> um, just 24-7 right now. Well, Diggory, yeah, it's definitely one to, to ponder. Um, mm. And I'd love to do a Notting Hill, Mickey Blue Eyes back-to-back session with you at some point. Oh, that'd like, be amazing. Sounds like a stellar afternoon to me. In fact, we've actually had a, a, quite a lot of messages on Instagram of people putting three... There was someone who posted a message with three different films that they were going to watch in one afternoon of Hugh Grant's. And, you know, that's, that's a dream afternoon for that's any of us. Amazing. Um, so yeah, I guess it's another one done, and mm. sadly, we get we're having less and less films to do now. But mm. we can only look forward to the next episode. So it's goodbye from me, Oscar, and goodbye from me, Degree Way, aka the D Dog, aka Oral Thrush, Thrush Boy. They're calling me Thrush Boy at work. <laughs> That's bullying, <sighs> mate. That's bullying. For God's sake. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye. Taking Hugh for Granted is produced, edited, and presented by Diggory Waite and Oscar Beardmore Gray. The producers of Taking Hugh for Granted would like to state that this podcast is in no way associated with the actor Hugh John Mungo Grant, nor does it endorse his views or represent him in any way. Instead, by creating this podcast, Oscar and Diggory hope to celebrate Hugh's illustrious career, reliving his old classics and shedding light on some of his hidden gems. Hugh. If you're listening, we hope you approve.